Habits of a Happy Brain by Loretta Bruining. One sentence summary. Habits of a Happy Brain explains the four neurotransmitters in your brain that create happiness. Why you can't be happy all the time and how you can rewire your brain by taking responsibility for your own hormones and thus happiness. My favorite quote from the author is... You can increase your pleasure if you're willing to do things that don't feel good at first. Loretta Bruining When you read books about self-improvement topics like love, productivity or happiness, you're bound to bump into chemistry at some point. The most diligent researchers are all eventually led deep into the wirings of the human mind. And many of them have uncovered how some of the key chemicals inside our brain work for or against us. As I kept reading about happiness, I stumbled across the hormones connected with it one by one and over time. For example, I learned about endorphins in school, while James Altucher taught me about oxytocin. Later I found out that dopamine is another happiness hormone, and most recently that serotonin completed the set. Since these are the four major chemicals in determining our happiness, I was surprised that no one had written a book about all of them yet. Well, this is that book. Loretta Bruining is a former professor from California State University East Bay, writer, researcher and guide at the Oakland Zoo, showing people how to manage their own inner mammal based on social behavior among animals. Here are three lessons from Habits of a Happy Brain. 1. Unhappy chemicals are just as important as happy ones. 2. Nothing will make you happy forever. 3. To live means to choose constantly, so it's important that you do. Want to learn more about the biology of happiness? You've come to the right place. Habits of a happy brain, lesson one. The chemicals that make you unhappy are equally as important as the happy ones. This answers the question, which other chemicals in our brain complement our happiness hormones? The four chemicals of happiness serve different purposes, like rewarding you for being social, oxytocin, going after a reward, dopamine, or pushing through physical pain, endorphins, at different times. Naturally, we spend a lot of our waking lives chasing after them in one way or another, whether we're aware of it or not. However, in our quest for happiness, we tend to forget that the other side of the coin is equally as important. Unhappy chemicals protect us from harm by warning us of potential threats. For example, when you're hungry, cortisol is released, a stress hormone which makes you feel uncomfortable and gets you to find food. The reason we often think of these unhappy chemicals as problematic lies not in the basic system that they're a part of, but in the way our modern brain, the neocortex, breaks that system. Cortisol is what gives you that do-something feeling when you feel threatened. But since your neocortex constantly analyzes your surroundings rationally and sees risk around every corner, because true life-threatening risks have become so rare, you're in do-something mode a lot more than is good for you. And that's why we eat out of boredom, for example. Habits of a happy brain, lesson 2. There's nothing in this world that will keep making you happy forever. This answers the question, how can I be happy all the time? But even if we could get our hormone system to work perfectly in sync with our rational thinking, that wouldn't make us permanently happy. Permanent happiness, a continuous state of bliss, is nothing more than a myth. That's why constantly chasing happiness is a useless game. 
Even if you want $10 million, that would not be the end of your happiness journey. Why? Because of a process called habituation. Every time your happiness chemicals are released, your brain makes a note about the strategy that led you there and files it away under this makes me happy. This way, your brain can default to the same strategy next time. But sadly, it won't bring the same result due to habituation. An experience makes you most happy when it's new. So when you go to the same awesome restaurant the second time, it won't live up to your high expectations and not be as much fun. We get used to everything, which is the reason someone who's paralyzed is as happy as someone who wins the lottery one year later. You might think habituation sucks, but it's what helped us survive. Sitting around and enjoying the stuff we have doesn't help us grow or get better, and habituation is what gets us up and exploring, instead of falling into a vicious cycle of high expectations and disappointments. Habits of a Happy Brain Lesson 3 Life is a series of constant choices, so it's important to not let others choose for you. This answers the question, how can I improve my happiness? Our brains have become very complex, and because there are so few real risks left out there, it keeps coming up with its own overblown sense of what's truly risky and what's not. However, being alive means constantly choosing whether it's worth to give up one thing in favor of another. Right this second, I'm choosing to record this summary, and postponing going home to cook dinner with my roommate. Every single choice you make comes with some risk and some opportunity cost, so you might as well get used to it. The only real mistake you can make is to not choose at all. Sure, when you let your boss, your wife, your friends, your parents decide for you, you'll never have to take any blame and can always point to someone else who's at fault. But out of all decisions, that's the only one that'll truly make you unhappy. Because you gain a lot from knowing you're in control. No matter whether the outcome of any given choice you made was a release of happy chemicals or unhappy ones. My personal takeaways from Habits of a Happy Brain for 2017. This was surprisingly good. I remember the author contacted me because the book had a different name before and I had to rename it. Uh, because she, I think, relaunched the book or a version 2.0 or something and she even changed the title. Um... But yeah, I think learning about the biology is really important. So let me give some backstory to to what else I know about this topic, uh, what stuff I've heard, biology versus psychology, happiness. Yeah, I have some I have some back context I would like to add to all of these. Um, let's start with the balance: unhappy chemicals versus happy chemicals. So obviously, uh, many, many of the actions we take are in service of releasing happy chemicals. That's just how our bodies work, right? Um, but as you heard, like cortisol is important, for example, because cortisol gets you to do stuff. Uh, and the jumble happens when our new neocortex part of the brain tries to meddle with the old limbic system that has all these emotional or hormone responses in control. Uh, and the two collide, and one is too new, the other is too old, and we live in a world um, where n neither system really works, and we kind of need both of them. So that's when they clash, that's when it gets weird. Now, the 
reason unhappy chemicals are can be equally as good as happy chemicals is that, for example, you can... Oh, this is so weird to describe. So basically what I'm trying to say is you can have unhappy chemicals being released in your brain and still be happy at the same time. Because happiness doesn't only come from these chemicals. There is also, for example, happiness also comes from meaning. So if you did something that was super meaningful but super shitty to do, you would still be quote-unquote happy while you do it. Just It would just be a different kind of happy than what you usually get when you get a hit of oxytocin after cuddling with your partner, for example. So the biological response can vary, but the end result in your heart or wherever you want to say what it feels like might be the same. Um, I think the important part about the biology is to, and this is very tricky, I'll admit that, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you there, is to not overestimate it and at the same time not underestimate it. So a friend of mine, she went to a therapist for a while and she talked a lot with her about problems that just left her feeling, I guess, burned out and slightly depressed. So nothing too serious, but something worth addressing. And at one point, I think she suggested her she take medicine. I was like, whoa, shit, like this is serious. And what she told me was that this might... So the therapist told her that over time, if this goes on for a while, this might lead to serotonin receptors in her brain being uh, destroyed and broken down. So that her own brain would reduce the number of of possibilities to to have serotonin dock and like have a happy response because it's not in that state anymore, right? Or not often enough for it to warrant having these extra receptors. And that's pretty scary. Like that's that could be some permanent happiness damage, right? So you don't want that. And she was supposed to take something that would help build these receptors or keep them alive. Um, so you don't want that you don't when it gets that serious like you should do something biologically or chemically and get some help there uh, but obviously you only find this out when you have help already so but still uh, on the other hand i think a lot of people they are very quick to say oh it's in genetics like i have low dopamine levels oh it's in biology i've always been that way oh 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 right and they push off the responsibility to their body uh, when really genetics is not that determinant. Um, so it's, of course, very hard because every individual case is different. But uh, I just, like what I would say, if you are more on the whiny side and you you know you don't have any like mental illnesses, but at the same time, you tend to easily say like, oh, I've always been that way or that's just my blah, blah, blah and, and, and point to some bodily excuse then I would highly encourage you to second-guess that and ask some more questions. Happiness is not permanent. Yes. PewDiePie did a video in 2017 that was really good about that. It was about fake happiness on YouTube and how many channels portray this fake image of constant happiness, always motivated, always always having fun, and so on. Um, and he said like that that's not real. And he's a very settled 
uh, down-to-earth kind of guy. And he doesn't seem happy all the time, but he does seem happy all the time. And that's the exact contradiction I was trying to point you to before, which is that he does his work, he gets a lot of meaning from his work, and you can see that, and you can see that he's happy if he does that, like he does if he releases a video every day, he's super happy. But at the same time, he's not happy, he's not over the top all the time, right? Right? He doesn't ooze endorphins left and right. So, and people like Viktor Frankl, who survived concentration camps, are happy, and they have been happy even in those darkest of times, those worst of moments, because... One, it might be a situation where they're not in habituation, they're not used to it, it's new. And two, it's meaningful to them. And that gives them more benefit, uh, I don't want to say happiness, that gives them more benefit than like this typical kind of pleasure happiness we so often refer to or we usually think about when we say happiness. Um, and that's much closer to something that will quote-unquote keep you happy forever because you don't have to be in that... Ha all of a sudden, you don't have to be in this happy, ecstatic state all the time, right? It's okay if things are just normal. Right now, it's 12.48 a.m. on a Sunday as I'm recording this. For Christ's sake, I would rather lie in bed and sleep. But I'm recording this and it gives me meaning because I know it adds value to my life and hopefully to yours too. So I'm doing this not because I'm so freaking happy and over the top, yay! But because it gives me meaning, and that in turn makes me long-term happy. So there's a big difference, um, and I hope you can see that, and I hope you will see through the fake happiness too, because that really can get to you, and it can really actually make you depressed when you think you're supposed to be this over-the-top, jumpy-around, happy-go-lucky kind of guy or girl all the time. Obviously, paralysis analysis, very real, last lesson, paradox of choice, not choosing is the worst one uh, because you would rather choose something you regret later because you can at least point to the experience and say, yeah, I fucked up there. But uh, as opposed to not doing anything at all and staying in this mode of forever maybe where that really leaves you unhappy because you don't get any meaning from that, right? We get meaning from making decisions, from deciding on things, from making things better, breaking out of habituation and not deciding something or postponing decisions keeps us from doing that because it keeps us afloat in a state of nothingness and no happiness, whether unhappy chemicals or happy chemicals, whether from meaning or from pleasure happiness can come from that. Awesome. Hope you learned something. Hope you started thinking a little bit about happiness and how, you, how it might change for you. And I will see you on the next summary.